0: Well, good morning. Again, thanks for joining us here at Prairie View this morning. And as we said, certainly a happy Mother's Day as well. Now, as we continue today in the Apostle Paul's second letter to Timothy, there is what seems to be an abrupt change of gears. Because up to this point, Paul has spent most of his time hammering down one major theme godly endurance. Through the trials and tribulations of our Christian faith and mission. Paul has given Timothy, the tired, frustrated, and discouraged church leader, a number of reminders, challenges, promises, reasons, motivations, and examples of why he should press on in faithfulness to the Lord even when it's hard. Timothy has been called to share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And as we've seen over the past few weeks, we're called to do the same. But as we read 2 Timothy 2 verses 14 through 26 this morning, Paul focuses on one of the most pressing, local, and practical issues that Timothy had to deal with. What's the problem that Paul addresses? Well, it's the same problem that Paul addressed in his first letter to Timothy, which we read last year. The problem is false teaching within the church. Paul refers to the church as the household of God. And while Paul does not address this as much in 2 Timothy as he did in 1 Timothy, the problem clearly hasn't gone away. And some 2,000 years after Paul wrote these letters, the problem of false teaching still lingers. So Christians like us and churches like ours would be wise to hear what Paul has to say on the subject. So go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. We hope you'll follow along here in the room and if you're watching at home as well. But before we read, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the people in this room, both new faces and old faces. I pray that our worship would be honoring to you, that we would be hospitable to visitors and guests, uh, but that we would treasure the tight-knit relationships we have uh, here as a church, as a household of God, as Paul calls it. Lord, I pray that you would watch over us as we worship you throughout this service. Uh, be with our hearts, be with our minds. Uh, help us stay attentive to hear what it is that you might have to say to us from your word. Uh, we trust that your word is living and active and powerful. And is God breathed, uh, as we'll read here in a couple weeks, And so, Lord, I pray that we would approach your word uh, with humility, with reverence, with awe, but also with expectation, uh, knowing that every time we open your word, uh, you can use that to grow us and shape us and mature us in holiness. And so we pray that you would do that today through your word and that we would respond appropriately. Lord, again, thank you for this time we have together, brothers and sisters in Christ, friends and families. Mothers, uh, Lord, again, thank you for this time, this people, this place. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we will start reading in 2 Timothy 2, verse 14. Paul writes, Remind them of these things, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use. Some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now, these may sound like simple questions, but they're important to helping us understand what exactly we just read. First question Who is them in verse 14? Who is them? It could be the faithful men mentioned back in verse 2. We talked about them last week. It could be the false teachers who are mentioned a few verses later. We'll get to them in a moment. But the them of verse 14 is likely the entire church body. All of the believers need to be reminded of these things. But that brings us to our second question. What are these things? Well, it could be everything that Paul has written so far, the entire letter that we've read the past few weeks. It could be the words that we covered last week, especially verses 8 through 13. That second option seems like the best one. Paul is telling Timothy to remind the entire church of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. To remind them that the word of God is not bound. And to remind them of his love for the elect. For them. His brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know, while he's at it, it would be good for Timothy to remind the believers Of the roar they have for following Jesus. Verse 11. The challenge ahead of them when following Jesus. Verse 12. And the comfort of knowing that in the end, Jesus is perfectly faithful to his sometimes unsteady followers. Verse 13. But there's also a third question that's worth asking. And it's this. Why do the Christians under Timothy's care need to be reminded of these things? Well, that's where the false teachers come in. The church needs to be reminded of these things because they are being discouraged, distracted, and divided by false teaching. As we discussed last year in 1 Timothy, it's hard to put a finger On the exact content of the false teaching itself. It was a hodgepodge of bad ideas and poor interpretations and strange philosophies. That's why Paul describes it as quarrels about words in verse 14. Quarrels about words. Back in 1 Timothy, he referred to it as myths and endless genealogies. Vain discussions. Controversy and irreverent babble and contradictions that is falsely called knowledge. It was quarrels about words that was distracting, discouraging, and dividing the church. But while the content of this false teaching may sound bizarre, and at times even coherent, incoherent, The danger of it is real. This teaching does no good. Can ruin its hearers. Can lead people into ungodliness. Can spread like a disease and has already upset the faith of some. The biggest clue we get about what this teaching actually was comes in verse 18. The claim that the resurrection had already happened. Now, that's not referring to Jesus' resurrection. Paul would agree, and we would agree, that that has definitely happened. We're all on the same page there. But the false teachers are claiming that Jesus has already returned. And that everyone who believes in him has already been resurrected once and for all. Now, that might sound odd, but here's why it matters. Some people took that idea as an excuse to let loose with sinful immorality. Everything's done. Jesus is back. We've been resurrected. Let's have a party. That's one bad extreme. The other bad extreme was others taking this idea of the resurrection already happening to the point of an overly strict religious legalism. Both of these ideas, both of these bad extremes, undermine the gospel. So in short, the false false teachers were misleading and confusing everyone in all kinds of directions. So what's Timothy supposed to do about this? How can he handle this? Well, Paul's first piece of the guidance is to avoid it. Avoid it. Seriously. Just avoid it. Now, this is not Timothy kicking the can down the road. He already dealt with one of these men mentioned in this passage back in 1 Timothy. This is not Timothy cowardly shying away From conflict. And this is not Timothy naively hoping the problem will go away on its own. Paul is telling Timothy. And telling the rest of the believers for that matter. People like us. To not get dragged into the false teachers trap. If you want to put out a fire. What do you do? You stop giving it air. Paul's guidance is much like the wisdom of Proverbs 26, verse 4. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. It's much like the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Sometimes the best thing you can do about false teaching in the church is to avoid it. Ignore it. Don't even give it the time of day. Because if you try to engage it, you'll just get dragged into endless bickering. What Paul has called quarrels about words. So instead, Timothy should focus on himself. Namely, his own life and his own words. Not the false teachers. It's like Paul is saying, you know, Timothy, they can do what they want to do. Let them have their fun. But Timothy, you do what you need to do. Control what you can control. Verse 15, do your best. To present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That last phrase, rightly handling the word of truth, can be tied to a mason making sure that stones are cut at just the right size and just the right angle for what they were created to do. We want to be thoughtful and precise with our words as church leaders, especially when we're teaching the word of truth. We want to rightly handle it. We want to cut it straight. You know, Timothy could spend all day, every day trying to clean up the false teacher's messes. But he can't call out every sin. He can't correct every bad doctrine. He can't control everything they say and everything they do. But he can strive to live a holy life himself. He can strive to teach sound doctrine himself. So maybe the best thing that Timothy can do in response to these false teachers is to simply be the opposite example. A godly man who teaches the truth. And then last but not least, Paul advises Timothy to patiently trust that God will sort it out in the end. You know, sometimes the church can look a lot like that house of verses 20 through 21. Filled with both honorable and dishonorable vessels. To the point of annoyance or frustration or confusion. But Paul reminds Timothy and reminds us that the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. In Matthew 13, Jesus compared the kingdom of God to a field containing both weeds and wheat. One is very useful. One is a nuisance. And Jesus promised that one day... God would sort it out. God would separate the weeds from the wheat. The good fish in a net from the bad fish in a net. The sheep and the goats. God will handle that. So instead of trying to hunt down every heretic, identify every dirty vessel, or pull up every single weed, Timothy can focus on himself. He can strive to be an honorable vessel, set apart as holy, useful to the master, ready for every good work and let God take care of the rest. So that sounds like reasonable advice so far. Sometimes the best thing that Christians like us and churches like ours can do when it comes to false teaching is to simply ignore it. Especially when it is incoherent and confusing babble. Often the best defense against false teaching is to simply lead by example. We can focus. I can focus. You can focus on living a godly life knowing and teaching sound doctrine yourself. And then finally, we can have the faith and the confidence that in the end, the Lord knows those who are his. God knows what's up. He knows the real from the fake. And while false teaching may spread like gangrene, and while many could be led astray, guess what? The church will live on. The church will live on. God's firm foundation will stand. But then as Paul continues, his guidance to Timothy gets even more practical. If you think back to verse 15, the challenge to Timothy to be God's approved and unashamed worker. But what exactly does that look like? For that, we pick up in verse 22. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So what does God's approved and unashamed worker look like? The kind of servant we should all in this church be striving to be. Well, first, they are maturing in Christ. They're maturing in Christ. That person is growing in holiness rather than being driven by youthful passions. They're putting to death the sins of anger, lust, greed, hunger for attention, or a love for picking fights. All things that may have characterized who else? The false teachers. And don't forget that it isn't just your words. That matter. It's your life. We can take all the right positions. Teach all the right interpretations. Believe all the right doctrines. Handle the word of God rightly. Cut it perfectly straight. But if we aren't maturing in Christ. In our everyday lives. Then there's a problem. Now, will we be perfect all the time? Of course not. Until the day we die, we all have ways we can grow in holiness and godliness. But God's approved and unashamed worker is maturing in Christ. Not staying stagnant. Not regressing. Second, God's approved and unashamed worker avoids quarrels. And you may be thinking that we already covered this and you're right, we have. But the fact that Paul hits on this so much in this passage tells us how important it is. Last week, Paul encouraged Timothy to be like a single minded soldier focused on his God given calling above all else. Well, the false teachers would like nothing more than to distract, discourage, and divide God's people because distracted, discouraged, and divided disciples are not very good disciples. We are far less useful in God's kingdom. One of Paul's earliest qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3.3 3 is that they must not be quarrelsome. Must not be quarrelsome. It really is that important. So may all of us in the church, all of us in God's household, this church, may we refuse to be distracted, discouraged, and divided by quarrels. Because that is one of the false teachers' strongest weapons. And based on what Paul says in verse 26, it may even be one of Satan's. Greatest weapons. And then finally, when you have no choice but to engage with false teachers or those who have followed them, God's approved and unashamed worker does so wisely. Paul recognizes that sometimes you can't ignore or avoid the problem any longer. The damage is becoming too great. The disease is spreading too far. But when you do intervene, be kind, be patient, be gentle, be gracious, be generous with the benefit of the doubt. Because your goal is to see that false teacher or that person they've led astray repent of their sin. Your goal is not just to win the argument. And being a jerk even when you're right, isn't going to help that cause. One commentator tells the story of a Christian apologist who participated in a public debate with an outspoken atheist. And some people were troubled by the Christian's combative and rude and demeaning attitude toward that atheist. And he justified his actions by saying... I did not go there to save souls, but to destroy a heretic. Sounded very tough. But that commentator writes, based on these verses, I believe the Apostle Paul would have hoped rather to destroy the heresy and save the soul. You never know when God may use you as his approved and unashamed worker. To save someone from their error. To save someone from the devil himself. So let's be wise in how we speak. And wise in how we act. Now this is all helpful for Timothy, I'm sure. And it can be especially helpful for those in positions of church leadership. But how might it help you as an individual believer? Well, first, this passage reminds us that sound doctrine really, really matters. Doctrine is not just some dusty, boring word that only matters to theologians. Because what you think and what you believe has a massive impact on what you do and how you live. If you're wrong in your teaching, As Timothy's opponents were, you'll likely be wrong in your living. So find godly, capable church leaders who can guide you and teach you. Educate yourself to differentiate between good doctrine and bad doctrine. Learn to distinguish sound teachers from false teachers. And don't just examine their words, examine their lives. Don't just look at how they speak. Look at how they live. This passage also has something to teach us about dealing with conflict, both inside and outside of the church. We all know people who are misled and may even be misleading others. We all know people who love quarrels, Christian and non-Christian, Well, sometimes the best thing we can do is simply not get sucked in. And this passage gives us permission to take that route when it's appropriate. But it also gives us guidance about how to conduct ourselves when we have no choice but to step in. And it even holds out the hope that God could use you. God could use your life Your words, your example, to draw that misled or quarrelsome person to repentance. And then finally, this passage reminds us not to get too discouraged. You know, it's easy to fret over the state of the world, to panic over the state of the church, Disagreements are everywhere. Bad doctrine is rampant. It's easy to feel like the false teachers. And even Satan is winning. But remember, the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. So you do and you teach What God has called you to do and what God has called you to teach. You believe and you say what you know is true. And you live the life that you know God has called you to live. Even if you can't control others. And trust him to take care of the rest. The Lord knows those who are his. So as we mentioned earlier, the problems that Timothy was dealing with back then are still very much around today. But the Lord still knows those who are his. So be the adopted child. Be the faithful servant. Be the approved and unashamed worker who God the Father has called you to be. Who he has declared you to be. By faith in his son, Jesus Christ. The first, true, approved, and unashamed worker of God who worked on our behalf. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, resolve to know the truth, teach the truth, and live out the truth. Be an honorable vessel in God's house. As far as you can control it. Even when it seems like false, quarrelsome, and dishonorable vessels are all around. Teach strong, healthy, good, right doctrine. Strive to be a holy, godly, mature servant of the Lord. And let God take care of the rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the comfort of knowing that the challenges, the frustrations, the disappointments that we sometimes deal with as believers in churches, they're not new. They've been around, and Lord, you tell us what to do. You give us your word, you tell us how to think, you tell us what to believe, you tell us How to act in these sorts of situations for the good of our neighbors, for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ, for our own good, but most of all for your glory. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us take these extremely practical, extremely useful pieces of your word and put them into practice so that we as individual believers, we as a body of believers here at this church, can be the church, can be the children that you call us to be. Lord, I pray that you would, like we talked about last week, remember that everything we do and everything we say, it's all in the context of your grace. Help us remember that we are part of this body by your grace, that we know you by your grace, that we are redeemed and saved and commissioned into your service all by your grace. And so, Lord, help us mature in Christ. Help us grow in holiness. Help us live out the justification that you have declared of us. You have said that we are righteous by faith in Christ, as Christ himself is righteous. And so, Lord, help us be righteous people. Help us do righteous things for your glory. Lord, again, I pray for this church that you would guard us from false teaching. That you would help us have the humility. Help us have the self-awareness to recognize when we ourselves could be led astray. When we could be wrong. Help us repent. And Lord, help us be merciful and patient and kind. When those around us may be misled. That through our example, through our words, through our church, that more people might not just repent of sin, leave behind the bad things, but find the good things that you offer us. We love you. We honor you. We praise you. We glorify you. And we thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name.